Hi, you're listening to Eternal Stance. I hope this message inspires you to live in light of eternity. Hey, if you have your Bibles, would you open to Genesis 50? Uh, that's a chapter that not a lot of us are um, visiting a lot, but I think you're pretty, fa- uh, you, you're pretty familiar with this passage. And um, Genesis 50, 20, I'm just going to read one verse, and it says this, you intended me to... Uh, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could sa- save the lives of so many people. So if you're not familiar with the story, this is Joseph speaking to his brothers and saying that what you've meant for evil, God turned that around. And now he brought me in this position, in this place that a lot of people might not die, but be saved. What an amazing turn of events. And I think a lot of times when we look at the story of Joseph, it's so amazing to kind of look. And I think to a certain extent, we can relate to Joseph. If you've been abandoned by your family, you can relate to Joseph. If you've been sort of kind of left alone, and maybe if you've been talked down every single time you, you said that I have, I have a dream that God has called me to do this ministry, and someone's like, well, who do you, who do you think you are? Or do you think you're better than us? You can relate to Joseph. The problem is that it's harder to relate to Joseph when we talk about his behavior. Because to me, he sounds like he's a perfect kid. You know, he wasn't saying about the dreams that he had, like in the way that he wanted to put other people down. He was just sharing his heart. And then when I look, every single time he's tempted, he doesn't stumble he, when he's tempted in part of her house, you know, he just kind of stands up to his temptation and says, no, how can I disrespect? How can I do this to my Lord and God? And to me, I've always had a hard time to relate with him when it comes to obedience. It's like, man, this guy is good. Like every single thing that he does, it's like perfect. And I think a lot of times in church, we also get that impression that maybe if you hang out with someone that is you consider them as spiritual, you consider them as, as a pastor or a leader. A lot of times we have this impression that, oh, they're just, they're just different and, and their life, you know, is not like mine and, and they just, they're able to control their desires. Or, but, you know, obviously they have their own struggle. But a lot of times when I look at Joseph's life, I'm like, man, I, I gave up into temptation. Not only I boasted about what I'm, I'm about to do, but I actually took pride in that. So I can't really relate to Joseph on that side of, you know. And I know you guys are really serious right now, and I'm sure you guys can relate to him. And if, if you can, thank you, Jesus, we have some perfect people in the house. But, <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's kind of hard. To, when it comes to his obedience, he's like the perfect child, where he just does everything. People, his family sells him to slavery, and then he says the famous line like, hey, you know what? Well, you meant it for bad. God turned it for good. He served, you know, his term in prison. He was forgotten there too. And you could say that this is his time for revenge, but he's not taking that. He's like, nah. I think if, we, if we're honest with ourselves, if we get a chance to for revenge, we usually slip into that. Let me tell you, right? Like, let me show you all the stuff that you've done, right? And that is kind of like our natural thing that we want to do. But I want to take the the attention here a little bit off of Joseph and put it back on his dysfunctional family, okay? Because 
I've never really, I mean, I preached about this story a lot, but there's a lot of things in here that I think we miss. In particular, I want to talk about Judah. Judah is uh, Joseph's older brother. And trust me, he's not exactly a good guy. Now, Jacob is their father. Jacob has two wives, and apparently they could do that back then. And the moment Joseph talks about this dream that he has, Judah obviously doesn't have, it doesn't sit well with him. And when they see Joseph, and I'm, I'm going to try to speed up through the story because it's very long. It's, it's a whole bunch of chapters. You can go read it on your own. But they, they see Joseph coming to bring him food. So here's Joseph trying to serve his brothers. So he's trying to do good, right? Like he's, he's bringing them food, and they see him from afar and he says, look at the dreamer is coming. We should, we should just kill him. Because he's th- he, he, he thinks he's all that on a bag of chips, right? Like, he, he thinks he's all that. And uh, they take him, and they, and, you know, Reuben kind of has this kind of, you know, he's the oldest brother, and he has this kind of, like, heart that's soft. And he's like, well, how about we don't kill him? How about we throw him in this, in this hole in the ground? And he had, he had a plan. Reuben wanted to go and save Joseph. So Reuben convinces all his brothers to throw Joseph in, the, in that hole. Now, imagine being Joseph in that moment. Like, God, is this your plan? Is this your great plan that you have for my life, God? And it says that it was Judah who they're eating lunch with, right? Like, all the brothers are eating lunch, and Judah sees this caravan of people. And he says, hey, like, if we just abandon our brother in that hole right? Like, we don't really get anything from that. How about we sell him? Like, what a great idea. How about you traffic your own brother? Like, how, how does that make any sense? And you thought you had family problems with your, with, with your siblings. But what sibling in their right minds? Like, oh yeah, how about we trade him in slavery? How about we go from the death penalty to life in prison? Well, wow, you're so great, Judah. And, and he's, the Bible says, and I want you to pay attention to this, the Bible makes it very clear that is, it is Judah who suggests this. Uh, Genesis 37 says that, uh, this, Judah said to his brothers, what we will gain, I mean, what will we gain f- by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime instead of hurting him. Let's, him, uh, let's sell him to those uh, Ishmaelites traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh, so he's kind of putting a good spin on it. I think Judah was just trying to get money. That's all I'm saying. Um, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites were, um, who were Midianite traders came by Joseph's brothers, um, Joseph's brothers pulled him out out of the cistern or that hole, you know, and says, and sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. And I kid you not, the next chapter just doesn't belong in this, in this book. Because if you read chapter 37, and you think that, that's pretty bad, things get a lot worse, and you're like, why does this chapter even exist? It's like, you know, why is chapter 38 even included in this? Because it's a completely different story. So they sell Joseph in slavery, and that's the last time that we sort of hear for now from Joseph. And then in chapter 38, we hear Judah's story. So Judah, he goes, he takes a wife for himself, a wife for himself. you know, he gets married, you know, he has three kids, one of his sons, well, three sons, one of his sons, his name is Ur, the other son is 
Onan, and the last son, his name is Shelah. Now, Ur, you know, gets old, and his dad is like, okay, well, it, but I want to pause here and say, like, Judah, like, you're going on with your life, but doesn't it bother you that you just sold your brother into slavery? Obviously, he's living with this. Obviously, but he goes on like nothing is wrong. And he goes, gets married, has three kids. But then because of who he is, he starts to leave a broken legacy because his sons are no better than he is. He says the first son gets married and God kills him. He gets married to this girl. Her name is Tamar. And he says that he got killed because he was wicked. So now Judah's faced with kind of a little bit of a crisis in the sense that his son just died, but now he has to take care of Tamar. And Tamar, if you don't know the culture back in the day, if you're a woman and you don't have anyone that you're married to, then you can't really have property. You, you have to be taken care of by your husband. So you, one of the worst things you can be in the Old Testament is a widow. So the custom of the day was that if you're a widow, then the next brother would have to marry you Okay, to take care of you. That was a way, because obviously they didn't have social security and all that, right? Like, and, and Medicare, Medicaid, and all these things. And so it was a way for people to take care of the widows. So it was meant for Onan to marry Tamar so he would keep the family name, so he would actually provide a son for Tamar, and her, I mean, his brother's legacy would go on, and also she would be taken care of. But Onan knows that he, if he produces a son with Tamar, now his inheritance has to be split between him, his son, you know, his, his inheritance from Judah. He has to split it with his son. He has to split his inheritance with Tamar. So he is pretending to fulfill, you know, the, the law. He's pretending. So he sleeps with Tamar, but makes it in such a way that she doesn't get pregnant. So he wants the benefits without the responsibilities. It's always, I think sin is always like that. He offers you the, the benefits without the responsibilities. He says that God saw that and said that is, that is wicked and killed them too. And you'd think that Judah has two sons that were killed by God because of their wickedness. And instead of him repenting with his whole family, Right? How does he handle the situation? And by law, he was supposed to wait until Sheila would have to get married, would, would get older, and Sheila would have to take care of Tamar. That was kind of. But he's like, well, I don't want my son to. Like the natural thing there would be to repent, Judah, and, and to really turn around and turn your legacy around and instill godliness into your son. That's the natural thing you should be doing. But he's not doing that. He says that when Sheila gets old. Well, older, he doesn't give him to Tamar, doesn't arrange for him, but sends Tamar to live with her side of the family. So he refuses to take care of Tamar. He refuses to carry on, you know, the, the, the brother's legacies. He refuses to do all that because he doesn't, he doesn't want to take care of Tamar. And he says that Judah's wife dies. Obviously, by this point, you realize that maybe Judah's going through a little bit of a midlife crisis. You know, because of he's scaring this with Joseph, and then he has all these things in his family. Imagine if you had three sons and two of them die. And you know that some of it has to do with you. 
because of your broken legacy that you've left. And you think that you turn around, but he doesn't. And what do you do when you don't know God and you decide that I've had three deaths in my family, two of my sons, my wife just died. You try to self-indulge. So he says he goes to take care of, you know, the, to, 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 you know, take care of his sheep and, and goes to this new town where Tamar is actually, she, she lives there. And he decides for himself to go get a prostitute for himself. That's what happens, I think, when, when people don't know Jesus, don't know God, and they're dealing with brokenness. They try to self-medicate somehow. So instead of stopping the brokenness, it keeps on going. As if sleeping with a prostitute is going to help things here. Like, what are you doing, Judah? And then Tamar hears that he is in town. And I don't know what her motives were, but what I can tell you is that she dresses up as a prostitute. Okay? And she's just sitting there, and Judah walks by. He's like, okay, well, this one, I guess. Can I sleep with you? And she's like, well, what are you going to give me? So they're discussing payment. Master, MasterCard? Visa? And he's like, I'll give you, um, I'll give you um, uh, a young goat. They, that was a form of payment back then, all right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> and she's like, how, how, how do I know that you're actually going to follow through with this? And he, he's like, well, um, she's like, I know. You're going to give me your, your signature ring, like your, um, I think it's called Sigmund, um, and then your cord, and also your, uh, your staff. Pretty much everything that identifies you as Judah. Like, I'll get your passport and your driver's license. Because your, your signet ring is something that you stamp your letters with, and that signified power and authority and so on and so forth. Like, that's not the best decision ever. First of all, you shouldn't be putting yourself in that kind of situation. Right? So she sleeps with him, and then she goes back to her place. He goes to his place, and he's, like, ready to send the goat out. And he takes one of his servants and says, go and pay her and give my stuff back. So this guy's walking around the, the village like, have you guys seen the temple prostitute? Anybody? Like, <laughs> and everyone's just like, no, we don't even have one here. What are you talking about? And he's like, okay, well, so he goes back to Judah and says, hey, there's no temple prostitute. As I said before, like, you thought your family was messed up. This gets even worse, right? And he's just like, well, I guess just let him have the stuff. Like, I can get myself a new one, but like, we don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want people to start finding out about this. Right? And nine months later, you know, things will come out regardless, right? Like, he finds out that Tamar is pregnant. And he gets this self-righteous anger, and he's just like, you know what? I can't believe this. You, uh, like, I don't want to mention the names he would call her, but... Bring her out. Bring her out and burn her for what she's done. And this is what I think God has just sets things up like so perfectly. Where she's like, okay, sure, do with me as you please, but I have one request. Can you check who 
these things belong to? Because I got pregnant by this guy. Imagine. Not only this guy slept with a prostitute, but this is also incest. It's in the family. Again, a messed up, broken story. This is not... This is not what the Bible says that anybody should do. This is just a fact. And the Bible gets really honest like that. And Judah, finally, finally, for the first time, I see a, a, a little bit of repentance. And he says, you know what? She is more righteous than I am. She is right. I'm wrong. And for the first time, we see a glimpse of repentance in here. You know what? You know why? Because maybe he was at the bottom. His brokenness led up to his son's dying. His brokenness got him to that point until he had to admit that this is, how do you, how do you make this better? You know, have you ever tried to rewrite something? Have you ever tried to maybe have a do-over our life? Because I'd really love and all the technology that we have, and I love Apple and all those things, but I'd, lo- I'd really love right now to have maybe an edit button for my life. To be able to go back and erase some of the really stupid and dumb things that I've done. And some of those things were sinful. I really wish I could go back, and you know, I think Twitter's the only true social media platform because they don't allow you to edit stuff, you know, but you can still de- delete them. But you can't just go and delete things out of your life. You can't just go and, and edit things out of your life. There's, there's periods of your life that are of darkness, right? Like, you can't go back and say, let me, let me redo this. Can I, do, can I get a do-over? This is not like fifth grade where you're like, oh, yeah, well, I wasn't even playing. Can I do, get a do-over? You don't get to do that kind of stuff. The moment you do a mistake, it's recorded in your past. The moment someone transgressed against you, it's recorded. The moment you've done something towards other people... It's recorded. It's done. There's no way to go back. There's no travel machine to go and fix that. You can't go and change things. Like, I remember my own life when my mom, I, I was growing up, and she, she bought this, like, bottle of medicine, and my, me and my brother, like, we were trying to find out what's inside of it, and we couldn't open it, so we smashed it to pieces. It was great. Um, and, and my mom found out about it, and she got so mad because she spent so much money to, to buy that. How do you put it back together again? You can't. You can't just go and duct tape everything together. You, you, you can't put that back together. You'd have to remelt all that glass and make it into a new vessel, right? And I remember moments in my own life, I had a friend growing up, and like I just, you know, you have friends where you're really intentional about being friends with them, and you have friends that are just kind of there, and you somehow end up being friends with them. But this was actually, this friend was just a true friend. He would, he one time, Somebody was picking on me, and he literally went and fought for me because I couldn't stand up for myself. Like, he, this guy literally was like, you don't talk like that about my friend, right? Like, and he really stood up. But if I'm honest with you, I never cared about him. If I'm completely honest with you, I used him. If I'm completely honest with you, I'll go to school, and every single time people made fun of him, I joined in. And I wish I could go back and change that, but then we're worlds apart. I don't know what happened to his life. And like, there's no way to change that. And here you have someone that, that our friendship meant so much to, to him, it didn't mean anything to me. And there's nothing I can do to change that, other than ask God for forgiveness. So this leads me to, when you have 
problems in the family? How do you go and change that? If you've been molested, how do you go and change that? If you've gone through a season of brokenness of drugs and, and being arrested, and how do you go and rewrite that record of your life? It's in there. It's, it's everywhere. How do you do that? And my question then comes to Judah. How do you go and live with the idea that you sold your brother into slavery? And by most accounts, you don't know what happened to him. How do you sleep at night? How do you fix that? Well, things get a lot more interesting, I'll tell you that, as if they were not interested to begin with. It says that finally there's a famine and everyone is sent to, this, to Egypt to get food. Guess who's in charge? Joseph. And they come one time and obviously Joseph knows that that's them. And, but they don't know that that's, that's him. Okay, I want you to really pay attention to this, okay? I don't know if you've thought about the, all the things that Joseph was doing right there, but, but there's a method to what he's trying to set up here. I, just follow me on this. They come, he gives them grain, and puts all the money back in their bags. They show up home like, whoa, we bought the grain, but then all the money's still here. So next time they come, they're like, hey, we just want to tell you they are very, very honest, honest people. And like when we got the grain and stuff, the money was there. So out of the goodness of our heart, and Joseph's like, really? You guys are that great. Fantastic. Okay, so if you guys are not lying, if you guys are not spies, tell me about your family. Well, we have a father that's older, and then we have a younger son. What's the younger son's name? Benjamin. Now, we know that Joseph really loved Benjamin. Really loved. Now, Benjamin was a lot younger. Okay? And Joseph's like, oh, great. Awesome. All right, well, you know what? Um, if you guys are not lying, I want you guys to bring Benjamin back to me. Next time you come, if you want to get food, you're going to have to bring Benjamin. Think about this. He's setting this up. They go there, and obviously Jacob has a problem with that. He says, last time you guys were in charge of one of my sons, I've never heard from him. So to be frank right now, I'm not really willing to allow Benjamin to leave. Because I don't know what happened to my other son. And everyone's like, well, but we're not going to have food. What are we going to do? What's going to happen? Anyway, so things go on, and... Jacob's resting with this, but then the food runs out. So either they all die or they have to go get food. So they bring Benjamin and Joseph throws this huge party. And then they fill their bags again. And Joseph, listen to this. He tells one of the guys that serves in the court, says, take my cups and put them in Benjamin's bag. They put the cups in, the, in Benjamin's bag, and they leave. And Joseph sends a whole bunch of, kind of like a little army after them, saying, why would you steal from me? Joseph is setting them up. And the guy's like, no, we would never do that. We are honest people. Like, we would never do this kind of stuff. Like, why would a... And Joseph, uh, Joseph's representative says, okay, well, if you... If you guys are saying what you're saying is true, if you guys didn't steal from us, then you're free to go. But we got to check your bags. And whoever's bag we find those things in, guess what? 
They stay as our slave. Think about this. They will stay as our slave. And they check all the bags. And they find the, the, the chalices in Benjamin's bag. So they bring everyone back. And they're in front of Joseph. Think about this. All the brothers, the king, and a boy, Benjamin, in front of him. Joseph has just recreated his own trade. And he says, okay, well, this guy is the one who had it, right? He's going to stay with me. He's going to be my slave. What Joseph has done here is set up his brothers to say, have you guys changed? Are you guys willing to sell him into slavery just like he sold me? Are you willing to do that? Because last time when we met before, we, before all this, what you've done is you've sold me into slavery and you didn't even look back because 20 shekels were so important to you. Are you willing to do the same thing to Benjamin? He says, okay, he's going to have to stay back. He's my slave. And look at this. You're going to find this in uh, Genesis chapter 44. Guess who steps up? Judah. He says, so please, my Lord, let me stay here as a, as a slave instead, uh, instead of the boy, and let the boy return with his brothers. For how can I return to my, father's, uh, to my father's house if the boy is now with me? I could not bear to see his anguish that would cause my father. When Judah encountered grace, it changed him. And last time, he was willing to sell his brother for 20 shekels. And now he's willing to risk his life and sell himself into slavery to save Benjamin. This is the powerful story that illustrates the power when you encounter grace. You see, when you encounter grace, when you encounter what God is doing in your life, it doesn't just change you, it changes your whole family tree. It changes your whole legacy. When God chooses to take all the brokenness and rewrite your story, it won't just affect you, you will affect everyone else. Because this story gets even more interesting. If we fast forward to Matthew chapter 1, look at this. Matthew in chapter 1, we see the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. So Tamar, the broken lady that was trying to survive and was willing to do anything to the point of incest in her own family and pretend to be a prostitute, somehow is one of the five ladies that we see in the lineage of Jesus. What a story rewrite. And I think a lot of times we're so easy to look at the highlights of the Bible and say, I can never be that because I'm never that obedient. I've never, if you're to look at the record of my life, it's never had this kind of impact. It's never had that kind of obedience that we see in Joseph. But remember, for every Joseph, there's also a Judah and a Tamar. So I don't know what background you came from, where you went, how you went about it, what kind of, what was done to you, what, what you've done to others, regardless of what the record of your life is, God can change all that. that God can take the brokenness, what, what, what the enemy meant for, for bad, God can take that, turn it around, and make it for good. 
God can take all that and turn it all around. But first, it's going to start with God confronting you about you and me, my hypocrisy and yours. When we think that, oh, just take her and burn her because how dare she trash our family name. Judah, have you looked at your life lately? All the self-righteous... No, see, when, when you encounter grace, you will collide with your pride. You'll collide with your greed. You'll go from, from trying to sell your family for 20 shekels to trying to give your life for one of your brothers that normally you wouldn't even care about. So you will first collide with that. And, God's gonna, and I hope that happens tonight. I hope that if you've been living your life and you're just kind of going about and, and that has left a trail of brokenness behind you and it's leaving a, a, a wicked legacy after you, I hope that tonight is a different night where you can come and, and, and encounter grace and your life can be changed and transformed. And then the sons and daughters that you have after that and, and the people that you encounter at church and at work and at school are impacted by the grace that you've received. God will confront you. God will confront you by your hypocrisy and my hypocrisy. God, the next step he's going to do is he's going to restore you. Hey, it, it's amazing to see where, where Judah goes from the horrible car, car salesman you know, person to being the hero of the story, willing to lay his life down. God restore that. And there won't be, like Josh Daniel says, right? there won't be a, a, a testimony unless there's a test. You can change all that. Encounter grace. Encounter him. He will confront you. He will restore you. He will restore the time that you've lost. You'll be able to, your brokenness will speak so much louder than any sermon that I do. If you've dealt with addictions, you are going to have a way more powerful voice because you can say, I'm a witness of what God has done in my life and so can you. God has not called you to be a lawyer and says, thou shalt, and God might not call you to all these high things, but God has called all of us to be a witness. But a witness starts with you witnessing something and would have to start with you. Right? So, so he will restore this time that you've lost. And you will see a good, good picture of that is Todd White. Going from, you know, according to his you know, a view of himself, pothead, to leading now thousands and thousands to Christ. And he didn't get saved until like he's 30s or something. God can do all that. He's going to confront you. You're going to encounter grace. He's going to restore you. He's going to, he, he's going to restore the time that you've lost. God will give you your honor back, your dignity. You'll do things right because that's what you're supposed to do, not because there's some kind of advantage. You won't lie not because you don't want to get in trouble. You won't lie because it's, not, it's the right thing to do. And lying is not the right thing to do. God will restore your, your sense of justice. God will restore all that that's been tainted by sin. Man, and like, there's this passage that talks about how God requires, He wants you that you would love mercy and exercise justice. God will, will, will confront you. God will restore you. God will restore the sense of your, your honor. And two more I want to mention is God will give you a legacy and an eternal future. We would never talk about Tamar. Uh, uh, Tamar. We would never talk about her 
unless we know how God has used the brokenness. Now, a lot of people say stuff like, well, everything happens for a reason. We all know now all things happen for a good reason. I'm just saying, right? So we don't look at like, well, one thing that bothers me the most, and please don't ever tell me this, like, yeah, you know, I went through all that, but you know what? I learned so much through it. Through it. Well, you could probably learn that from other people. You know, there's people that learn from their own mistakes, people that learn from other people's mistakes, and people that should never learn. I want to be the person who learns from other people's mistakes because when I, make, when I learn from my own mistakes, they're very costly. So, so you don't have to go through brokenness. You don't have to go through pornography addiction to, to know what it's like. You don't, don't ever look at and call it for what it is. That is sin. That is brokenness. That is not godliness. We got to call it for what it is. But God can use all of that. What the enemy meant for your destruction to bring about your eternal life and to restore your legacy. That is what God can do. God will confront you. God will restore you. He'll restore you to the years you have lost. You know, he'll, in the sense that obviously you can't go back and restore that. But he's going to give you a purpose that you'll be able to accomplish something in five years that you, you maybe didn't accomplish in 50 years. God can do in five seconds what we can spend our 50 years to do. And the last thing that I want to mention from this, from this story is that the, your story is part of the bigger story. You, you, maybe Tamar thought, well, I'm just a broken widow that nobody cares about. But she's inspired millions throughout centuries. Yeah. Just because she's in the lineage of Jesus. Maybe Judah, looking at his past, there's not a lot of things to be proud of. But his story is part of the bigger story. It points to the ultimate story, and that is what Jesus has done for you and for me. And one day, all of us will stand before him. One day, we'll sit at the table of the Lamb, and we'll talk about our brokenness and how God's restored us. But here's one amazing thing. It says that you would think that Joseph, I mean, in his obedience... People would say that Jesus would come through the her, um, lineage of, of Joseph, right? Like this would be the no, normal thing. No, but we know that when we talk about Jesus, you've heard this before, Jesus is the line of what? Judah. Why? Because of this. Lord Jesus, Satan don't want to preach, or don't want me to preach. Um, and um, I want to close with this, this verse, and I'm going to call you to prayer, but... Um, when we look at people that followed Jesus, they followed him for different reasons. They followed Jesus because maybe Jesus provided lunch. The disciples are so eager and they're so excited about, you know, oh, Jesus. But look, you know, we were able through you to cast out demons. We're able to do all those things. And, and, and Luke 10, 17 says this, when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even demons obey us when we use your name. Yeah, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I've given you authority all over the power of the enemy, and he can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven.
That is the ultimate thing, is that God took our record. He completely rewritten all of that. He changed our story. We're part of the bigger story now. And regardless of what kind of family, dysfunctional family you came from, regardless of what kind of background, what kind of past, what kind of addictions you've, you've went through, regardless of all that, your name, if you encounter Jesus, if he has confronted you, if you encounter grace, if you've been restored, you are part of the bigger story. Your name is written in the book of Lamb. And all the things that you've done in your life cannot outweigh the one thing. And the one thing is that he's given his life for you. And he's written your name in his book. So I'm going to call you to prayer. I know I, we, I don't want to do a long sermon. I want us to spend more time in prayer. And if you, um, I know that, you know, a lot of times when we call, we, we say, hey, we have a prayer partners here and maybe one or two people come. But I really want us to seek his face tonight. I want us to say, Lord, you see the brokenness in my own past. God, would you encounter me with your grace? Because if I don't see the difference in my life, then maybe I have not encountered you. If, if I'm still bothered by things that were done way back then and that maybe I haven't brought them to the cross yet, if, if I'm still getting defined you know, by the anger and by issues of my previous life, God, I, I want to bring all that to the altar. So I'm going to give you a chance. You know, I, I really encourage you. I think, I think it's really powerful when you come up front. And the reason... It's powerful. This morning we talked about fasting. And fasting, I think what's so powerful about fasting is that you have to include your will. You have to will to do fasting because it's really hard. For you to come up front is you saying, I'm going to align my spirit with my soul and my body. And I'm going to come. And, and if I have to get on my knees or just spend time here in his presence, he aligns everything in your body. I, I've mentioned this example before when I was I was running away from a dog, and because I was so scared, like, I didn't think about, oh, I got to move my legs or my arms. No, everything just worked. I was very motivated. Why? Because everything was lined up, right? Like, my soul, body, and spirit said, go. You're about to get bitten, right? Like, when we include our will, say, God, I choose tonight to make you a priority. I choose tonight to bring to the altar that I've the things that I've never brought before. I choose to go the places that are hurtful. I choose to forgive people that have hurt me. So I really encourage you, take advantage of this. Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast is a blessing to you, would you share with other people? Thank you in advance, and until next time, God bless you.